Chapter Thirty Six of Henry Dunbar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ali Chinji. Henry Dunbar by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Thirty Six. Looking for the Portrait. The Rue Kelou was a very quiet little street a narrow winding street with tall shabby-looking houses and untidy little greengrocer's shops peeping out here and there the pavement suggested the idea that there had just been an outbreak of the populace and that the stones had been ruthlessly torn up to serve in the construction of barricades and only very carelessly put down again it was a street which seemed to have been built with a view to achieving the largest amount of inconvenience out of a minimum of materials and looked at in this light the rue Kelou was a triumph it was a street in which parisian drivers clacked the whips to a running accompaniment of imprecations it was a street in which you met dirty porters carrying six feet of highly baked bread and shrill old women with wonderful bandanas bound about their grisly heads but above all, it was a street in which you were so shaken and jostled and bumped and startled by the ups and downs of the pavement that you had very little leisure to notice the distinctive features of the neighbourhood. The house in which Mr. Kirstall, the English artist, lived was a gloomy-looking building with a dingy archway beneath which Sir Philip Jostling and his wife alighted. There was a door under this archway and there was a yard beyond it with the door of another house opening upon it and ranges of black curtainless windows looking down upon it and an air of dried herbs green stuff chickens in the moulting stage and old women generally pervading it the door which belonged to mr kirstall's house or rather the house in which mr kirstall lived in common with a colony of unknown number and various avocations was open and sir philip and his wife went into the hall there was no such thing as a porter or portress, but a stray old woman, hovering under the archway, informed Philip Jocelyn that Mr. Kirstel was to be found on the second story. So Laura and her husband ascended the stairs, which were bare of any covering except dirt, and went on mounting through comparative darkness past the office of the Parisian Journal, till they came to a very dingy black door. Philip knocked and after a considerable interval the door was opened by another old woman tidier and cleaner than the old women who pervaded the yard but looking very like a near relation to those ladies philip inquired in french for the senior mr kirstall and the old woman told him very much through her nose that mr kirstall's father saw no one but that mr kirstall's son was at his service Philip Jocelyn said that in that case he would be glad to see Mr. Kirstall, Jr., upon which the old woman ushered the baronet and his wife into a saloon, distinguished by an air of faded splendour, and in which the French clocks, enormous candelabras, were in the proportion of two to one to the chairs and tables. Sir Philip gave his card to the old woman, and she carried it into the adjoining chamber, whence there issued a gush of tobacco smoke as the door between the two rooms was opened and then shut again. 
In less than three minutes, by the minute hand of the only one of the Ormolu clocks which made any pretence of going, the door was opened again, and a burly-looking, middle-aged gentleman, with a very black beard and a dirty holland blouse all smeared with smudges of oil colour, appeared upon the threshold of the adjoining chamber, surrounded by a cloud of tobacco smoke, like a heathen deity or a good-tempered-looking African genie newly escaped from his bottle. This was Mr. Kirstow, Jr. He introduced himself to Sir Philip, and waited to hear what that gentleman required of him. Philip Jocelyn explained his business, and told the painter how, more than five-and-thirty years before, the portrait of Henry Dunbar, only son of Percival Dunbar, the great banker, had been painted by Mr. Michael Kirstow, at that time a fashionable artist. Five and thirty years ago,' said the painter, pulling thoughtfully at his beard, Five and thirty years ago! That's a very long time, my lord, and I'm afraid it's not likely my father will remember the circumstance, for I regret to say that he is slow to remember the events of a few days past. His memory has been failing a long time. You wish to know the fate of this portrait of Mr. Dunbar, I think you said? Laura answered this question, although it had been addressed to her husband. Yes, we want to see the picture if possible, she said. Mr. Dunbar is my father, and there is no other portrait of him in existence. I do so want to see this one, and to obtain possession of it, if it is possible for me to do so. And you are of opinion that my father took the picture to Italy with him when he left England more than five and thirty years ago? Yes, I've heard my grandfather say so. He lost sight of Mr. Kirstall, and could never obtain any tidings of the picture. But I hope that, late as it is, we may be more fortunate now. You do not think the picture has been destroyed, do you? Laura asked eagerly. Well, the artist answered doubtfully, I should be inclined to fear that the portrait may have been painted out. And yet, by the by, as the picture belonged by right to Mr. Percival Dunbar and not to my father, that circumstance may have preserved it uninjured through all these years. My father has a heap of unframed canvases, inches thick in dust, and littering every corner of his room. Mr. Dunbar's portrait may be amongst them. Oh, I should be so very much obliged if you would allow me to examine those pictures, said Laura. You think you would recognise the portrait? Yes, surely. I could not fail to do so. I know my father's face so well as it is, that I must certainly have some knowledge of it as it was five-and-thirty years ago, however much it may have altered in the interval. Pray, Mr. Kirstall, oblige me by letting me see the pictures. I should be very churlish were I to refuse to do so, the painter answered good-naturedly. I will just go and see if my father is able to receive visitors. He has been a voluntary exile from England for the last five-and-thirty years, so I fear he will have forgotten the name of Dunbar, but he may by chance be able to give us some slight assistance. Mr. Kirstall left his visitors for about ten minutes, and at the end of that time he returned to say that his father was quite ready to receive Sir Philip and Lady Jocelyn. I mentioned the name of Dunbar to him, the painter said, 
but he remembers nothing he has been painting a little this morning and is in very high spirits about his work it pleases him to handle the brushes though his hand is terribly shaky and he can scarcely hold the palette the artist led the way to a large room comfortably but plainly furnished and heated to a pitch of suffocation by a stove there was a bed in a curtained alcove at the end of the apartment an easel stood near the large window and the proprietor of the chamber sat in a cushioned armchair close to the suffocating stove michael kirstall was an old man who looked even older than he was he was a picturesque-looking old man with long white hair dropping down over his coat collar and a black velvet skull-cap upon his head he was a cheerful old man and life seemed very pleasant to him for frenchmen have a habit of honouring their fathers and mothers and mr frederick kirstall was a naturalised citizen of the french republic the old man nodded and smiled and chuckled as sir philip and laura were presented to him and pointed with a courtly grace to the chairs which his son set for his guests you want to see my pictures sir ah yes to be sure to be sure the modern school of painting sir is something marvellous to an old man sir an old man who remembers sir thomas lawrence ay sir i had the honour to know him intimately no pre-raphaelite theories in those days sir no figures cut of coloured pasteboard and glued on to the canvas no green trees and vermilion draperies and chocolate-coloured streaks across an ultramarine background sir and i'm told the young people call that a sky no pointed chins and angular knees and elbows and frizzy red hair red sir and as frizzy as a blackamoor's and i'm told the young people call that female beauty no sir nothing of that sort in my day there was a french painter in my day sir called david and there was an english painter in my day called lawrence and they painted ladies and gentlemen sir and they instituted a gentlemanly school sir and you put a crimson curtain behind your subject and you put a brand new hat or a roll of paper in his right hand and you thrust his left hand in his waistcoat the best black satin sir with strong light in the texture and you made your subject look like a gentleman yes sir if he was a chimney sweep when he went into your studio he went out of it a gentleman the old man would have gone on talking for any length of time for pre-raphaelitism was his favourite antipathy and the black-bearded gentleman standing behind his chair was an enthusiastic member of the pre-raphaelite brotherhood mr kirstow senior seemed so thoroughly in possession of all his faculties while he held forth upon modern art that laura began to hope his memory could scarcely be so much impaired as his son had represented it to be when you painted portraits in england mr kirstall she said before you went to italy you painted the likeness of my father henry dunbar who was then a young man do you remember that circumstance laura asked this question very hopefully but to her surprise mr kirstow took no notice whatever of her inquiry 
but went rambling on about the degeneracy of modern art i am told there is a young man called millet sir and another young man called holman hunt sir positive boy sir actually pellets are more than boys sir and am given to understand sir that when these young men's works are exhibited at the royal academy in london sir people crowd round them and go raving mad about them while well, a gentlemanly portrait of a county member with a corinthian pillar and a crimson curtain gets no more attention than if it was a bishop's half-length of black canvas i am told so sir and i am obliged to believe it sir poor laura listened very impatiently to all this talk about painters and their pictures but mr coaster the younger perceived her anxiety and came to her relief lady jocelyn would very much like to see the pictures you have scattered about in this room my dear father he said if you have no objection to our turning them over the old man chuckled and nodded you'll find them gentlemanly he said you'll find them all more or less gentlemanly you're sure you don't remember painting the portrait of a mr dunbar mr curser the younger said bending over his father's chair as he spoke try again father try to remember henry dunbar the son of percival dunbar the great banker mr curser senior who never left off smiling nodded and chuckled and scratched his head and seemed to plunge into a depth of profound thought laura began to hope again i remember painting sir jasper rivington who was lord mayor in the year bless my heart how the dates do slip out of my mind to be sure i remember painting him in his robes too yes sir by gad sir his official robes he'd like me to have painted him looking out of the window of his state-coach sir bowing to the populace on ludgate hill with a dome of st paul's in the background but i told him the notion wasn't practicable sir i told him it couldn't be done sir i laura looked despairingly at mr kirstel the younger may we see the pictures she asked i am sure that i shall recognize my father's portrait if by any chance it should be amongst them we will set to work at once then the artist said briskly we're going to look at your pictures father unframed canvases and unfinished sketches on millboard were lying about the room in every direction piled against the wall heaped on side tables and stowed out of the way upon shelves and everywhere the dust lay thick upon them it was quite a chamber of horrors mr kirsten the younger said gaily for it was here that he banished his own failures his sketches for his pictures that were to be painted upon some future occasion carelessly drawn groups that he meant some day to improve upon finished pictures that he had been unable to sell and all the other useless litter of an artist's studio there were a great many dingy performances of mr kirstel senior very classical and extremely uninteresting studies from the life grey and chalky and muscular with here and there a knotty-looking foot or a lumpy arm in the most unpleasant phases of foreshortening there were a good many portraits gentlemanly to the last degree but poor laura looked in vain for the face she wanted to see the hard cold face as she fancied it must have been in youth there were portraits of elderly ladies 
with stately headgear and simpering young ladies with innocent short-waisted bodices and flowers held gracefully in the white muslin draperies there were portraits of stern clerical grandees and parliamentary non-celebrities with popular bells rolled up in their hands ready to be laid upon the speaker's table and with a tight look about the lips that seemed to say the member was prepared to carry his motion or perish on the floor of the house there were only a few portraits of young men of military aspect looking fiercely over regulation stocks and with forked lightning and little pyramids of cannonballs in the background Laura sighed heavily at last, for amongst all these portraits there was not one which in the least possible degree recalled the hard, handsome face with which she was familiar. "'I'm afraid my father's picture has been lost or destroyed,' she said mournfully. But Mr. Kirsten would not allow this. I have said that it was Laura's peculiar privilege to bewitch everybody with whom she came in contact and to transform them, for the nonce, into her willing slaves, eager to go through fire and water in the service of this beautiful creature, whose eyes and hair were like blue skies and golden sunshine, and carried light and summer wherever they went. The black-bearded artist in the paint-smeared holland blouse was in no manner proof against Lady Jocelyn's fascinations. He had well-nigh suffocated himself with dust half a dozen times already in her service, and was ready to inhale as much more dust if she desired him so to do. "'We won't give it up just yet, Lady Jocelyn,' he said cheerfully. "'There's a couple of shells still to examine. Suppose we try shelf number one, and see if we can find Mr. Henry Dunbar up there.' Mr. Kirsten Jr. mounted upon a chair, and brought down another heap of canvases, dirtier than any previous collection he brought these to a table by the side of his father's easel and one by one he wiped them clean with a large ragged silk handkerchief and then placed them on the easel the easel stood in the full light of the broad window the day was bright and clear and there was no lack of light therefore upon the portraits mr Curso senior began to be quite interested in his son's proceedings and contemplated the younger man's operations with a perpetual chuckling and nodding of the head that were expressive of a mitigated satisfaction. "'Yes, they're gentlemanly,' the old man mumbled. "'Nobody can deny that they're gentlemanly. "'They may make a cabal against me in Trafalgar Square "'and decline to hang him, "'but they can't say my pictures are ungentlemanly. "'No, no. "'Take a basin of water and a sponge, Fred.' and wash the dust off. It pleases me to see him again. Yes, by God, sir, it pleases me to see him again. Mr. Frederick Kirstall obeyed his father, and the pictures brightened wonderfully under the influence of a damp sponge. It was rather a slow operation, but Laura was bent upon seeing every picture, and Philip Jostling waited patiently enough until the inspection should be concluded. The old man brightened up as much as his paintings, and began presently to call out the names of the subjects. "'The member for Slopton on the Tees,' he said, as his son placed the portrait on the easel. "'That was a presentation picture, but the subscriptions were never paid up, and the committee left the portrait upon my hands. I don't remember the name of the member, because my memory isn't quite so good as it used to be. 
but the bottle was slopped on on the teas slopped on yes yes i remember that the younger crystal took away the member for slopton and put another picture on the easel but this was like the rest the picture face bore no trace of resemblance to that face for which laura was looking i remember him too the old man cried with a triumphant chuckle he was an officer in the east india company's service i remember him a dashing young fellow he was too he had the picture painted for his mother paid me a third of the money at the first sitting never paid me a sixpence afterwards and went off to india promising to send me a bill of exchange for the balance by the next mail but i never heard any more of him mr kirstall removed the indian officer and substituted another portrait sir philip who was sitting near the window looking on rather listlessly cried what a handsome face it was a handsome face a bright young face which smiled haughty defiance at the world a splendid face with perhaps a shade of insolence in the curve of the upper lip sharply denned under a thick auburn moustache with pointed ends that curled fiercely upwards it was such a face as might have belonged to the favourite of a powerful king the face of the saint mars on the very summit of his giddy eminence with a hundred pairs of boots in his dressing-room and quiet cardinal richelieu watching silently for the day of his doom english buckingham may have worn the same insolent smile upon his lips the same bright triumph in his glance when he walked up to the throne of louis the just with the pearls and diamonds dropping from his garments as he went along and with forbidden love beaming on him out of ostranan's blue eyes it was such a face as could only belong to some high favourite of fortune defiant of all mankind in the consciousness of his own supreme advantages but laura jocelyn shook her head as she looked at the picture i begin to despair of finding my father's portrait she said i have seen nothing at all like it yet the old man lifted up his bony hand and pointed to the picture on the easel that's the best thing i ever did he said the very best thing i ever did it was exhibited in the academy six and thirty years ago yes by gad sir six and thirty years ago and the papers mentioned it very favourably sir but the man who commissioned it sent it back to me for alteration the expression of the face didn't please him but he paid me two hundred guineas for the picture so i had no reason to complain and if i remained in england the connection might have been advantageous to me for they were rich city people sir enormously wealthy something in the banking line and the name the name let me see let me see the old man tapped his forehead thoughtfully i remember he added presently it was a great name in the city it was a well-known name dun dumber dumber why father that was the very name i was asking you about half an hour ago i don't remember your asking me any such thing the old man answered rather snappishly but i do know that the picture on that easel is the portrait of mr dumber's only son mr kirstel the younger looked at laura jocelyn full expecting to see her face beaming with satisfaction but to his own surprise she looked more disappointed than ever your poor father's memory deceives him 
she said in a low voice. That is not my father's portrait. No, said Philip Jocelyn. That was never the likeness of Henry Dunbar. Mr. Frederick Coastal shrugged his shoulders. I told you as much, he murmured confidentially. I told you my poor father's memory was gone. Would you like to see the rest of the pictures? Oh, yes, if you do not mind all this trouble. Mr. Coastal brought down another heap of unframed canvases from shelf number two. Some of these were fancy heads and some sketches for grand historical pictures. There were only about four portraits, and not one of them bore the faintest likeness to the face that Laura wanted to see. The old man chuckled as his son exhibited the pictures, and every now and then volunteered some scrap of information about these various works of art, to which his son listened patiently and respectfully. So, at last, the inspection was ended. The baronet and his wife thanked the artist very warmly for his politeness, and Philip gave him a commission for a replica of the picture which Laura had admired in the Luxembourg. Mr. Frederick Kirstel conducted his guests down the dingy staircase and saw them to the high-end carriage that was waiting under the archway. And this was all that came of Laura Jocelyn's search for her father's portrait. End of chapter 36 Recording by Ali Chinji, Riska, South Wales, United Kingdom